Thank you for joining us this month for Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Mandy Moody, the content manager here at the ACFE, and I'm excited to welcome Walt Manning today. He is one of our longtime faculty members and currently the president of Investigations MD out of Florida. I called upon Walt because there's been a significant amount of news regarding facial recognition technology, and it's pretty new, and we're going to discuss what it means for us, how people are using it, the risk, the downsides, and uh, I'm excited to talk today. Walt, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about your career and what you focus on now. Well, I've been involved in law enforcement or investigations for almost 40 years now, um, starting as a police officer many years ago with the Dallas Police Department. And while with the Dallas PD, I got interested in computer forensics and how technology could be used in crime and what we were going to do as investigators to try and deal with it. That was in the back in the early days of computer forensics, so I was able to watch it develop into the scientific profession that it is today. Then after 20 years in law enforcement, I left to create my own digital forensics firm. I did that for several years before I joined an international firm where we uh, provided e-discovery and computer forensic services in major criminal and civil litigation cases. Uh, since then, I've had a company that uh, we research technocrimes and how technology is going to change investigations, and then we also provide business consulting services and coaching services for investigators to help them transition into this new environment. So today we're going to talk about facial recognition technology. There's been uh, a lot of news stories about how people are using it, police departments using it to spot welfare fraud, customs officials using it to spot visa and passport fraud. Where are we right now with facial recognition? You have everything from the very non-technical comparison of a static still photo to a, to a live face or to a photo with a, uh, a capture a shot from a video camera all the way up to highly technical systems with artificial intelligence that use very high resolution algorithms to match faces to identities. From a fraud examination perspective, the first question to ask is, what that system was designed to do, how it works, and how accurate it is, that's going to have an impact on how much you can rely on the results that you have from that system. From the criminal perspective, the best known one is the FBI system, which is the next generation identification system. And that has all types of biometric and other types of criminal record data in it, from you know, fingerprints to face prints and palm prints. But it also has a tremendous amount of non-criminal information that a lot of people don't realize. The last time I looked, the database has over 117 million records in it, which is about half of the population of the United States right now. Of course, there are non-U.S. citizen records in there as well. How does a record get put in there? Most of the facial recognition systems have 80 nodal points that are measured on the normal face based on distances between various landmarks on the face. So distance between the eyes, for example, distance between the tip of the nose and the eyes, how the face facial structures are laid out. That information all gets digitized and put into a record called a face print. 
So you can equate that to a digitized record of a fingerprint. The difference is with faces, the faces are always dynamic. They're not static like a fingerprint. So you can have two different facial captures that result in different face prints because the facial features appear to be different. So it's a little bit different ballgame than when you're talking about fingerprint data. How do you see fraud examiners being able to use this? Well, obviously, we've got facial recognition systems at border crossings. Homeland Security is using it. Some of the downsides to that are when you have your driver's license photo taken, for example, how many people are really not happy with how that driver's license photo makes them look? And does it really look like you? Most of us would hope that in reality, we look better than the photograph on our driver's <laughs> license. And that also causes problems for people who are in positions trying to match that type of still photograph with a face. And if you look at the test results, even with highly trained people like Border Patrol guards and TSA agents, their accuracy rate is not that great. And none of these systems are 100%. So fraud examiners really need to be very careful before they rely on any results from an analysis of facial recognition. So one of the things you mentioned is private businesses. How are they using it that might provide evidence for fraud examiners? There are a lot of businesses, hotels for example, have facial recognition so that they can recognize their VIP customers, uh, clients when they come in and the employees can greet them by name and make them feel important and valued. So this type of data that's being collected might also be useful if you're trying to track the location of a person or to determine if they actually were in a hotel or a business when they said they were. Other businesses scan uh, facial recognition for known shoplifters, for example, so that they can alert the employees to a potential shoplifting threat. Or if there's a person who's known to sue businesses for negligence or any type of liability situation, there are databases of those people as well, and those can uh, alert the business uh, employees for people like that who have come into their business. Uh, MasterCard is looking at uh, the possibility, for example, of using a selfie from your smartphone or your tablet for authenticating a credit card transaction. Apple in the next iPhone is rumored to be including facial recognition and even iris scans to replace your password to be able to access your device. Really weird ones like Microsoft has a patent on a technology that will let a billboard see you driving down the road, recognize your face, match it to your identity, and change the display advertisement on the billboard customized just for you. And high schools and churches are using these systems to take attendance based on facial recognition. So that kind of brings us into another realm of securing that data, right? You have to consider that these biometric databases are being stored and collecting increased amounts of information about us all the time. And that information is also being combined with information collected by other companies and government agencies to develop a more detailed profile. So if that information is all stored electronically, we all know uh, computers aren't as secure as we would like them to be, and every day you see a new story about a new data breach 
whether it's a government agency or a company. So if we're maintaining and collecting all of this biometric data, what are we doing to ensure its security? Because if I steal your identity or I steal your financial records, that's one thing. And you can recover from that. It's going to be a hassle. It's going to take a lot of time and effort for you to get new ID, new bank accounts, new credit card information, and that type of thing. But if I can steal your biometric data, that's something that you can't easily change, and you can never recover once it's stolen. And that's pretty scary. Has this kind of technology stood up in court? Has it been able to stand up against if it's faulty or if it can really help solve a case all the way to the end? I don't think you can rely on the technology in and of itself without some other type of corroborating evidence. There are a lot of legal issues regarding facial recognition and all types of biometric data. And there aren't many legal cases that uh, establish precedent about this. The United States is really one of the few countries in the world that doesn't have a universal policy or law governing how this type of personal data can be collected or shared. And there's no security requirements in the law either. Uh, the last time I looked in 2015, there were only two out of the 50 states in the United States that had any type of law on the books related to biometric data. So you get into issues of how the data is collected. Do you need consent from the individual before you collect this kind of data? And then how is it used? The real question comes down to who owns your face. And in the few cases that have been ruled on, uh, there was one Supreme Court case that said if you're driving in a car on a public street, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy to the capture of your face in a photograph or how that data could be used later on. But then in other cases, courts have said that even though you don't have an, an expectation of privacy in that public place, you do retain an expectation of privacy in your longer term movements because those aren't typically captured, although with GPS technology, that's changing too. Right now, there's a lawsuit in Illinois from a citizen of Illinois against a company that captured their face in facial recognition databases, and the accusation is that they're in violation of the Illinois state law regarding biometric data. So it's, it's a very gray area in the law right now, and fraud examiners really have to be very careful if they're going to use this type of data in a fraud examination to make sure that they have the legal right to do it. With facial recognition technology, it's one of many new technologies that we're seeing. And I know that you work very hard to keep up with all of the changing technology. And fraud examiners are tasked, you know, with keeping up with trends, keeping up with schemes, keeping up with the latest and greatest. Where do you think we may be falling behind as far as technology. I hate to say this, but I think we're falling behind in almost every area of technology. And I believe that technology is, is growing exponentially. And fraud examiners and security professionals and audit professionals uh, and investigators don't tend to grow exponentially. We tend to grow on a gradual basis. The problem is then that our laws and, and our training and our experience and our best practices haven't kept up with the technology. And it keeps changing. It's not going to wait for us. So we can't 
continue to, to address it in the same ways we have in the past because it's not working anymore. And as we go forward in the future, it's going to be even less effective. We really need to take a step back because I think we're at a tipping point with this technology. And if we don't come to a new understanding and a new way of dealing with this, this technology, that part of fraud examination could become obsolete. How are you seeing people trying to fool some of this technology and get around it? Everything from uh, custom printed clothing with various patterns on there that tend to disturb a camera image, wearing a hat, wearing a wig, wearing fake facial hair. Although the technology is uh, advancing to get around some of those issues, we have seen glasses that have little pinhole lights embedded in the glasses frame that when the person looks up at the surveillance camera, then light is flashed up toward the lens which could tend to blur the image of the face that the camera's trying to capture. We have a, another system that I've seen that takes a 3D scan of your face and then 3D prints a fake face that looks like you, that is a good enough quality to fool facial recognition systems four out of five times in one test when normally they're 85% uh, accurate. Think about the possibility of somebody using a 3D printed model of your face at a political protest or at a crime scene, and wow. then having the facial recognition system say that you were there. Do you just Google how to fool facial recognition, or are you seeing this kind of stuff on the dark web? No, you can Google it. There's a tremendous amount of uh, research being done and experiments being done by universities, by privacy groups, and individuals even who are concerned about uh, regaining some of the privacy from these types of systems. Did you ever see Face Off? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was going to say, do you ever think that could actually happen? They switched faces in the movie. I, absolutely, I think that can happen. Or Really? In one of the, one of the blogs that I'm uh, writing, it, we deal with that type of situation because of the proliferation of cameras that are everywhere, and you know, from space and satellite cameras and police body cameras and security cameras everywhere. I think with 3D printing and 3D scanning, it's going to be even more practical to do something like the old Mission Impossible series where you have a peel-off latex face that will allow you to impersonate somebody else, and they'll be so portable and easy to take on and off that you could leave the scene of a crime, go into a restroom in a, in a facility next door, peel off one face, go down the street into another restroom, peel off another face, and blur the tracks. I want to hear Walt's top three predictions for technology for the year 2025. I think by then that the Internet, as we know it today, will be replaced by something completely different where all of your data is fragmented, it's scattered, stored on every device that's connected to the net, but stored in pieces that are all individually encrypted. And that will include everything in your house, everything in your office, and probably satellites by that time as well. And everything will be connected to the network, even your brain. So nothing will be sacred anymore? 
nothing will be sacred anymore. And then number two, virtual reality will be something that we all accept as normal. You'll exist in multiple worlds and you'll have multiple identities in those worlds. So instead of working for several clients or even one client here in this world, you'll work for different clients in different virtual worlds for different companies and all of those virtual worlds will have their own cultures, their own laws, and their own types of fraud. Finally, our attitude towards security today is protecting our data from being stolen, but in the future I think the risk is going to be the data being changed and manipulated. We're already seeing that with the recent presidential election and the allegations that the vote was manipulated, the fake news, and I think in the future we need to be worried about the data being changed without us knowing it. Then you won't be able to tell the difference between what's true and what's accurate and what's fiction. Reality will be a relative. <laughs> and then what is your evidence and how much can you rely on it? You've definitely got a lot of job security, I would say. I hope so. The goal is to get other people to start thinking about some of these future crimes now because it's changing so fast that we just can't wait. If you could give, you know, a little piece of advice to someone just starting out and is maybe overwhelmed by the amount of technology or the amount of data, where where do you start when you take on a case and there's so much to go through. Where do you start and, and how do you stay, I guess, how do you stay sane and stay focused? It's becoming so complicated with this technology that everybody's going to have to specialize. The problem with that is that when you specialize and you get a fraud to investigate, you're going to have to know every other specialist who has an expertise that relates to your examination. You're going to have to know who they are and where they are and be able to determine if they're available wherever they are in the world to help you with that particular fraud examination. And that's going to change the way our profession works and thinks. You see the networking events at the annual conference and many times people feel very awkward participating and trying to expand their network. But in the future, that's going to be a critical skill that you won't be able to ignore. Because if you do and you don't know, the, you can't identify the resources that you need to help with your investigation, then you may be at a stopping point. Investigation might not be able to continue. I would say read, specialize in one area of the technology, but then find the people who specialize in other areas that you might need later on to help. Thank you so much, Walt. This was this was really enlightening. We have to promise each other to get together in 10 years and talk about everything that came true from your predictions. If I win and if I'm accurate, I'll make you, I'll make you uh, several faces of your choosing. Oh, that'll even be better. All right, thank you so much, Walt. You're welcome. And we will see you at the annual conference in Nashville in June. Thank you to Walt and thank you to everyone listening out there. We are excited to bring you this topic and we know that we will only hear more about this in Fraud Magazine, in our newsletters and in the news uh, in months and years to come.
You can find all of the ACFU's podcast in the iTunes store or at acfu.com slash podcast. And let us know what you think. Leave us some reviews in iTunes or go on to our ACFE community at connect.acfe.com and start some discussions. Thank you again. This is Mandy Moody signing off.